Mitchell. And this is Conjuria. No, it is not. What is it? Armchair Apocrypha. That's right, it's Armchair Apocrypha. Of course it is. This is the podcast where armchair experts tell possibly, possibly true, true stories. stories. And your armchair experts may sound a little bit chipper this week because we are buying a house. Yes, we are. <laughs> High five! Um, Tell the story. <laughs> Paint a picture for them, will you? Uh, so we went out, was it Thursday? It was Thursday. We went out Thursday to look at houses, and we filled out this first-time buyer's, um, is it a loan? It, or it's a it grant. A, it's a grant. Basically. It's a first-time home buyer's grant. grant. Um, and within a week of this grant opening, like half of the money was gone. Because yeah. everybody was rushing to buy the first-time uh, home buyer's it's a grant that's allocated to, it's a $6 million grant, Yeah. $10,000 for a down payment, and it's granted to Jefferson County and like 12 other counties in like Kentucky. Yeah. I don't know what the stipulations are for why these specific counties, but basically in the first week, $3 million was gone, but then in the next three days, almost the next $3 million was gone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so all that money was going uh, quickly, mm-hmm. so our uh, realtor was really interested in getting us into a home that day yeah um so we were running all over the place we kind of liked the first house yeah and then we liked the second house a little bit more yeah and then i liked the third house but I rachel did not, not like the third house um, no <laughs> but it was a lot of space it was a lot of space um, that's the one plus yeah they had. it was a lot of space and it had a nice backyard it did have a nice backyard um and then we went to this one place that was older and it had been kind of shut up for a few years, I the guess. The one that smelled like grandma's. Yeah, yeah, the one that smelled like grandma's. <laughs> um, and it had that just, was such a great fixer upper yeah. house if we had the time and funds yeah. and that stuff. And it was right next to the bocce buffet. Yes, so. it was. <laughs> Which would be bad on my end because I would just go there all the time. It w- it's actually a really nice fixer upper house. It has yes. built in bookshelves, mm-hmm. it has I two love stories. Um, but there was just like so much that we would have to do. Yeah. in order to get it livable. And oh, like, yeah. we really don't have that money or time right yeah, now. Yeah, both. Um, and so we, uh, we were running around looking at all these houses, but they all went pending that day because everybody was trying to get in that house. Yeah, and I also grant. wasn't going to get a house just to get a house. Right, and right. I was actually convinced, like, okay, it's just not going to happen. Yeah. But so, then... So the realtor was like, um, let's go home, let's eat dinner, let's just take some time off. Yeah. And we'll start looking for more houses tonight. Um, and so we pulled up, Rachel pulled up uh, Trulia. Trulia, yeah. Trulia. Um, and she was looking at houses, and she found a few that she really liked. She sent them to me, and I was like, I really like this one, and I really like this one. Yeah. And so we went out and saw one of them, and it's great. It's yes. a great starter house. Ugh. Doesn't need any work done to it. It doesn't. It's two bedrooms, a lot of space. Two bathrooms. Two bedrooms, two bathrooms. can't even get for the price we're looking for. Yeah. That's one of the things that we ranted about a lot yeah. in Louisville is that everybody's afraid of bathrooms and half bathrooms. Yes. <laughs> I have no idea why. You'll have a five or six bedroom house and, and one bathroom. bathroom. Like, come on. Just add a half bathroom. Bath- anywhere. <laughs> yeah. You don't want six people in a house and one, one bathroom. bathroom. That's terrible. That's unsanitary. But we told her. Yeah. Like, this is it. This is, it feels right. It did feel yeah. right. That was like, I still have no regrets over it yet yet i don't have any regrets <laughs> over it and what's crazy is when we got there there were people looking at the house and we were leaving people were waiting for us to sleep to come look at the yeah. house and so she went and called <laughs> and the offer got accepted the next morning from yes. us 
So now it's just all the finite paperwork and inspections and all that. All the stuff that I don't know what stuff. to expect because this is our first time. So. Right. Um, and as we were waiting to get into the house, because our, uh, our realtor didn't get there until like 10 minutes after we had gotten yeah. there, uh, one of the neighbors was like, are you guys looking at the house? Yeah. This is a great neighborhood. I've lived here for 25 years. Yeah. And it was like, this is nice. And then she rode off on her motorcycle. And then she rode off on her motorcycle. We're home. <laughs> so hopefully, uh, at least in a month or so, um, we'll have uh, a studio where we won't have cars driving by. No, it's a super quiet area. Yeah. If you're driving right by that place, you're driving to your house. Yeah. Um, and we, we shouldn't have the window unit blaring in We the... won't. I saw that. It has actual AC. It has yeah. central AC. Don't worry. I'm, retur- well, I'm <laughs> taking that with us. That's ours. Yeah. We'll put that in storage somewhere there and not keeping that. So hopefully in about a month or so, our, uh, our recording quality will be a little bit better. Oh, it definitely will. I'm super excited. Me too. Um, how uh, how else? Uh, how is your week uh, besides that? I know that you you just made cookies today and um, yeah, had a little bit of a baking disaster. Well, I made chocolate chip cookies and they went really slow. Yeah. And then I tried to make peanut butter cookies. I don't know what happened, <laughs> but they like just smothered. Every- I even refer- I did what it asked. I refrigerated it for two hours so that way they're hard. When they it looks like there is nothing to let them rise in yeah. it, and they just literally turned into this pan sheet and then started uh, burning. It was just a disaster. So I'm going to give it one more go around. If it doesn't work, then I'm just going to buy this person peanut butter cookies. But I pride myself on baking or cooking. I'm not the best baker, actually. That's something I do want to improve on. But I know how to make damn cookies. (laughs) So I'm a little upset about that. And hopefully I have Tuesday off from work. So I'm hoping that Tuesday I'll uh, have a redemption. Good. Um, but your week was way more exciting than mine, though. I had a job interview at U of L, so um, keep your uh, See? <laughs> keep your fingers crossed for me that um, they call me back within the next couple weeks because that would be a really good job for me. It would. Um, and I knew one of the guys on the uh, the uh, hiring committee, so I think that I've got a little bit of an end. Nice. I, my fingers are crossed for you. Thank you. Fingers and toes. It was a very, very big week. <laughs> interviews, house hunting, finding yeah. a house. I had three interviews this week, guys. So <laughs> I'm yeah, really tired that's of draining. Yeah. yeah. Um, but the one on Wednesday wasn't. It was kind of like a half interview where I just got in, and uh, she was like, "So um, we already filled the position. We already filled the position, but I really like your resume." Well, but thanks. they'll keep you on file? They said they're going to keep me on file, and the next time they have an office uh, associate or an office administration uh, job open, they'll give me a call. That's good, though. Yeah. Um, she also said that she would pray for me on Friday. <laughs> yes. And then Friday afternoon it rains, so I don't know if she was praying for rain instead, but... Well, <laughs> maybe it's a good luck sign. I'm maybe. not sure. Um, I had to go in a little bit early because it started storming and flooding. Yep. About an hour before I was supposed to go in for my interview, and so I was like, looking at it like, will it break? Will it break? No. Will it break? <sighs> I'm just going to go out and out. <laughs> so it was an exciting week for both of us. Yeah. Yes, it was. Do you want to get into it? I do. I'm excited to hear your new Netflix show idea. <laughs> um, this one uh, does not have a happy ending. I'm going to spoil Shocking. that. Shocking. 
Uh, Actually, I, I prefer that you tell me that so yeah. that I'm mentally prepared. So I appreciate it, Andrew. Thank you. No problem. Um, it also has a tie to one of the, the episodes that I did Ooh. previously. Okay. So uh, I'll explain that at the end. Um, have you heard of Sofia Perovskaya? Um, I don't think so. You don't think so? She was the terrorist princess of Russia. What year? Uh, 18, 1853 to 1881. She was young. 53 to 81. Mm-hmm. No, tell me. Maybe I'll, I'll recognize some things that she did. Okay. So, uh, Sofia Perovskaya was born in St. Petersburg into an aristocratic family who were the descendants by marriage of Elizabeth Petrovna of Russia. Do you know Elizabeth's story? Uh, no. She did not marry a noble. She uh, married a stagecoach driver. Scandalous. Scandalous. For love? Yes. No. Um, I forget the details. I think that she was betrothed to somebody, and then uh, her parents died and the marriage was called off, but she was still royal blood, and so she just married for love. And um, her descendants carried the the royal line. The royal line, even, even though, though they weren't you know, tainted. Yeah, even though they weren't pure. Um, so she was born into an aristocratic family who were the de- descendants by marriage of Elizabeth Petrovna. Uh, her father, Lev Perovsky, was the military governor of Saint Petersburg. Her grandfather, Nikolai, was a governor in the Taridi government. Governance. I don't know. How far those are, apart, okay. but um, governors. She yeah. comes from a family of governors. She spent her early years in Crimea, where she didn't get educated formally. Um, she was very much an autodidact in her younger years. Um, when she became a preteen or maybe a teenager, a girls' preparatory program called Alachinsky Courses opened in Saint Petersburg. And Lev Perovsky moved his family back to St. Petersburg uh, so that Sophia could begin courses. So when she was about in high school age was when she got her first schooling. All right. Well, better late than never. Um, At Alarchinsky, she met several girls who were interested in the radical movements, as you do when you That's where you find, yeah, (laughs) that's where you find them. (laughs) Um, At 16, she she left her house over her father's objection to her new friends. In 1871 and 1872, together with these friends, she joined the Circle of Tchaikovsky, a Russian literary society for self-educated radicals. Between 1872 and 1877, she worked in the provinces of Samara, Tver, and Simbursk, and she received diplomas as a teacher and as a medical assistant. That's crazy. That's a lot. I was about to say, like, and your only formal education is, sorry, when you're 16, 17? Yep. Um, do you know who Peter Kropotkin is? No. He wrote a book called The Conquest of Bread, which is kind of the, um, the anarchist, uh, the anarchist version of theory. From Russia. Yes, from Russia. Uh, the, um... The Conquest of Bread? The Conquest of Bread. I think I get what it's about. (laughs) The middle section is about building an anarcho-communist society, and so most anarchists either start there or, like, develop Learn, through yeah. there. Um, it's one of the most famous anarchist texts. Um, he uh, was also a member of the Circle of Tchaikovsky, 
and he was apparently really close with Sophia. Uh, he said of her... How you know, close were they? Sorry. <laughs> not that close. Oh, okay. <laughs> they were friends, okay. as far as I can tell. Um, he said of her, In her moral conceptions, she was a rigorist, but not in the least of the sermon-preaching type. Perovskaya was a populist to the very bottom of her heart, and at the same time a, re- a revolutionist, a fighter of the truest steel. She said to me once, we have begun a great thing. Two, di- two generations, perhaps, will succumb in the task, but it must be done. I like the optimism. In 1873, Perovskaya maintained several conspiracy apartments in St. Petersburg for secret anti-Saros propaganda meetings that had not been sanctioned by the authorities. Uh, starting in 1873, thousands of students and other youth called the Narodnichevsko. Russian names are hard to pronounce. Yes. yes. The peasant populists took to the countryside to educate local peasants on issues of the government in the hopes of making them more militant. Um, the peasantry were largely unreceptive to these middle class people coming probably, out into the country yeah. mm-hmm. um, and, and telling them what to do. Uh, and so Jeez. they started calling the authorities. In reaction to these demonstrations uh, and the, so- the general social foment, Tsar Alexander II came to the conclusion that mass arrests and trials were necessary to halt the revolutionaries and discredit their fight. In January 1874, Sofia Perovskaya was arrested as part of the trial of the 193 and placed in Peter and Paul Fortress. That's a cute name for a fortress. Peter and Paul Fortress. <laughs> She'll return to there a few years later. All right. I bet she's like, this. oh, I remember what way to go down. <laughs> I got this, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> because of the SARS legal reforms, the trial of the 193 was open for public viewing and for full press coverage. This gave the revolutionaries the stage uh, and the audience for them to perform well-rehearsed speeches and allow them to gain the support of public opinion. Prisoners also shouted abuses at the judges, who from time to time had to postpone court due to lack of control over the prisoners. Shit. Remember, these are college-age kids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and so they're just writing their speeches in their, their cells, and then whenever they get too heated, they just start shouting abuses at the judges. Um... In sometime between 1877 and 1878, Perovskaya is acquitted. Um, her focus turned from radicalizing the, pleasant, the peasant classes to unseating the powerful because okay. of her time in jail. She would return to Peter and Paul Fortress shortly hereafter in an unsuccessful attempt to free Ippolit Mishkin, a revolutionary and a member of Narodnaya Volga. So she got caught trying to break someone out of prison. That's so badass. <laughs> so I love she goes those to jail. Where they do that. She goes to jail for protesting. She gets acquitted. She comes back to jail to try to break other people out. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. In the summer of 1878, Perovskaya became a member of Zimlia i Volia, or Land and Liberty. Um, she was arrested again soon after and she was banished to the Olenets' government. However, on her way, she managed to escape from the people uh, who had captured her and went underground. I don't know how she escaped, but I really want it to be something, like, really elaborate. That's what I was thinking, too. <laughs> like, she's got this figured out. Like, she knows this. 
escape plan A, B, C, D, and E, and she's got this. Yeah. Yeah. I really want it to be something elaborate, though, just not, like, something simple. Like, they like a mousetrap type of situation where this happens and this happens, yeah. but she knows that what's going to happen next. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, what I think the two possibilities are, are they put her on a train, and then she, like, walks to the back of the train and jumps off the other side. Yeah. Um, but I really want it to be, like, her hiding in something okay. and then, like, sneaking out while they're not looking and yeah. then, like, taking a ladder that nobody knows yeah. about or some, yeah. something like that. Um, as a member of Zimlia Evolia, Provskaya went to Kharkov in order to organize the liberation of political prisoners from the central prison. In fall of, 1897, in fall of 1879, sorry, uh, she became a member of the executive committee and later a member of the administrative committee of Zemlia e Volia. Uh, she began propagandizing among students, soldiers, and workers and took part in organizing the Workers' Gazette. And she, mainti- she maintained ties with political prisoners in St. Petersburg. In November of 1879, she took part, part in an attempt to blow up the Imperial train on its way from St. Petersburg to Moscow. The attempt failed. Um, and she left um, Zemlia Evolia. On her return to St. Petersburg, she joined a different organization, Narodnaya Evolia, who you'll, you might remember was the organization that um, Ippolit Mishkin was a part of. Ippolit, I think that's how you pronounce it. With Narodnaya Evolia, Perovskaya participated in preparing assassination attempts on Alexander II of Russia near Moscow the first time, Odessa the second time, and finally in St. Petersburg. I believe it. In St. Petersburg, she eventually got lucky um, and killed him. I was about to say, I think Alexander II was one of the ones that was assassinated. Yep. Uh, the amount of assassination attempts on most stars is pretty astounding. Yeah. <laughs> so she was directly involved in four of them, and there were others going on at this time. Oh, too. yeah. They didn't like him. They didn't like most stars. <laughs> they didn't like most stars. <laughs> um, she was a close friend and later the wife of a man named Andre Zolyabov, who was a member of the executive committee of Narodnaya Volia. Um, in 1881, she was arrested and taken back to uh, Peter and Paul. Um, she was tried and convicted. As I was say, she probably isn't acquitted this time. No. Um, she was the first woman in Russia sentenced to death for terrorism. First one in 1881? Yeah. Wow, that seems strange. I don't know if terrorism was a big... If that word exists, yeah. it was like treason or something. Another yeah. phrase was used before there the right. There might have been women like, uh, convicted of treason, treason, but she yeah. was probably the first one convicted terrorism. of terrorism. Gotcha. That makes more sense now that you say that, yeah. Um, four other members of Narodnaya Volya, including her husband, Zolyabov, were hanged with her. Uh, she wrote in a letter to her mother... My darling, I implore you to be calm and not to grieve for me, for my fate does not afflict me in the least, and I shall meet it with complete tranquility, for I have long expected it and known that sooner or later it must come. I have lived as my convictions dictated, and it would have been impossible for me to have acted otherwise. She was just saying that to comfort her mom. I feel, still feel like if you're up there about to be hanged, you're like, oh shit. 
You think even, she might have been shaking in her boots? I mean, everyone, like, everyone's like, I don't fear death. or yeah. I don't, But this minute it happens, like, I know this lady. But um, I can only imagine how fearful you are. But I think it's sweet that you tell your parents whatever, like, oh, it don't bother me. No biggie. <laughs> So that, like, I would say that same bullshit to my parents, but I would still be like, <laughs> um, So that's the story of Sofia Perovskaya. How old was she when she was hanged? Um, she see. was hanged in 81. 1853, 27? 28? Younger than, like, our age. Yeah. And they lived to be older than that still in 1881. Am I doing the math right? 53, 63, 73, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, 83, um, she has a tie to another revolutionary that I talked about earlier. Yes, we said season. you were going to mention that. Um, do you remember Japanese feminist Kano Sugako? That name sounds so familiar, yes. She was an anarchist in Japan around the 1900s. Yes. And she was also tried for treason and hanged. Uh, was she also 27, 28? I don't do remember, remember how old she was. Yeah. Um, but she took a lot of inspiration from Perovskaya uh-huh. and apparently saw her as kind of a hero. As her, like, this is who I strive to be. This is my predecessor. Mm-hmm. So that was the terrorist princess of Russia. That's, yeah, <laughs> right. That was good. <laughs> and in the Netflix series, I, I, I kind of want it to be like a full spy Oh yeah, a movie kind mm-hmm. of series. Um, with her, like, outsmarting people all the time. Yes, yeah, just, like, escaping on the yeah. train and stuff. Like, alias meets leverage. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. Yeah. Oh, that people will be enticed to that. Yeah. That's good. Kudos, Andrew. Thank you. So what do you have for us this week? I have a fun one. Oh, yeah? Just one. I just want to talk about this person, because I can talk about her for forever. I got to go back to... I said... I feel like an old episode I said I would talk about her. But today I'm going to talk about Grace Kelly okay. and like her interesting life. Okay. Uh, are you familiar with who this is? A little bit. Okay. Well, you're about to know a lot more about her. Okay. So Grace Patricia Kelly was born November 12th in 1929 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to a pretty um, self-made affluent family. Mm-hmm. Uh, American dream. Yeah. Uh, her father, John Brendan Jack Kelly, was a champion rower who won three Olympic gold medals as part of the U.S. rowing team. Uh, so he was a self-made millionaire. He owned one of the most successful big brick businesses on the East Coast. And her mother, Margaret, was the first coach of a women's athletic team at the University of Pennsylvania. She, uh, Grace Kelly was the third of fourth, four children, and she was named after her father's sister who died at a very young age, which is sweet so she came from a very very athletic family okay um while attending uh raven hill academy a prestigious catholics catholics girls school mm-hmm. she was raised roman catholic um she modeled and did fashion at social events with her mom and her sisters um before graduating in 1947 a wait i'm so sorry no 
she would like dance and act in all her school plays and stuff. Okay. Um, her graduation yearbook listed her favorite actress as Ingrid Bergman, who I think was everyone's favorite actress at the time. <laughs> so that's like a cliche. Yeah. And Joseph Cotton, and I'm not really sure who he is. Joseph Cotton? No. I meant to look him up and then I forgot. So after high school, much to her parents' chagrin, she decided to pursue an acting career in New York. They were mm. not about that life. In fact, her father said um, acting was a slim cut of a streetwalker, so they did not really like... I can tell. Yeah. So it, here is Joseph Cotton. Okay. Oh, he looks so familiar. Yeah, I've seen his face before. I He's in Sabrina. Sabrina. Uh, Sabrina Fair and the Philadelphia Story. Yeah. Um, so, actually... Despite this, she still went to New York and enrolled at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts... As a student, she modeled part-time and appeared in ads for old gold cigarettes. Old gold. <laughs> yes. Um, after graduating at the age of 19, she sought a career on Broadway but found it tough. Don Richardson, one of her directors and teachers, later said she would never have a career in theater because she had great looks and style, yes, but no vocal horsepower. Like, oh. To actually, like, you know, have an yeah. audience. You to have to have a voice. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'll get back to her voice in a little bit. In the years following, just following World War II, the film and television industries were both booming, so Grace Kelly decided, look, oh, excuse me. <laughs> um, Abuse. Th- sorry. Rachel just slapped my name <laughs> for anyone who's wondering. Um, uh, decided, well, if I'm not doing that great on Broadway, let's go to Los Angeles and see if I can make it in film and television. Yeah. So, spoiler alert, she would later eventually... Film, uh, being only 11 films and 60 television productions. Um, Gary Cooper discovered Grace Kelly on the set of her first film, 14 Hours, which was in 1941, mm-hmm. when she was 22, yeah. Um, he arranged for her to play his very young wife in High Noon, an acclaimed western that put her on the path to stardom. I remember High Noon. As I say. Yeah. Um, it's basically about a town marshal, despite the disagreements of his newlywed bride and the townspeople around him, must, fam- must face a gang of deadly killers alone at high noon when the gang leader and outlaw he sent up years ago arrives at the noon train. You know, as you do. As you do. Um, <laughs> the movie is often, called, is often described as a western for people who don't like westerns. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and just a side note, because I don't think I have it written anywhere else in here. Um, basically, all of her male counterparts were could be her father they're all 20 or so years older yeah and actually i had already written this out and was doing like doing my baking yeah. one fail one great <laughs> baking experience and i was re-listening to an episode because i totally remembered one of my favorite podcasts you must remember this has one about deadly blondes yeah. and i re-listened to one of the great about grace kelly to see if she had anything um that she added that i would like to add but she goes along um one thing that I would like to add that I didn't is that all of the male counterparts were 20 years older, and she kind of goes into this analysis of why that is. Yeah. She goes, because if you actually see her with um, a male, like a good-looking male her same size, like there's just so much chemistry that she's seen as a threat, whereas she's not seen as a threat when to women and men if it's with an older man. Oh. She explains it way better than I just said, but she said there's only like one movie, yeah. and the guy was only eight years her senior, only eight years only her eight senior, years. and you just see that the um, 
like the sexual innuendo just between that was almost too much for the screen audience <laughs> at that time. And they don't even like do anything, you right. know, because it's the 50s and whatnot. But they're saying it's seen as less threatening when it's with an older man or it's the ideal, um, oh, the way she put it is um, these men who were also the same age as the guys were like, oh, well, if I were to redo it again, I'd be able to get with a woman like Grace Kelly, which is total <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. It was talking about... Um, all these men who had just come, had served in World War One or World War Two, got married really fast, and yeah. then they see these movies with, with the men their age with someone younger. So Grace Kelly saying, "Oh, if I did it all over again, I could get someone like her." Yeah, that's the way she described it, and that's the way she analyzed it. I'm like, "Oh, that's pretty interesting." What's the explanation for people like uh, George Clooney dating twenty-year-olds um, in all of his movies? That's just gross. That... <laughs> that's also uh, that's a uh, Tom Cruise. Yeah, that's. Ugh. Tom Cruise, uh, George Clooney, um, Brad Pitt. Anyone, yeah. yeah. They're 50, and they're all the James Bond love interests are like 20, yeah. and all the James Bond actors are 40 and 50. Yeah, yeah. Total bullshit. So stupid. Um, so it is said that Gary Cooper and Grace Kelly had a relationship during the filming of the movie. This is a rumor that she had for most of her male co-stars. Uh-huh. Um, some true, some not, I'm sure. In 1952, she was hired for her role of Linda Nordley in the film Magambo, which I've always heard about but never seen. I keep wanting to see it. And was offered a seven-year contract with MGM after this movie on a salary of, get this, $850 a week. Wow. That is more than what I make a week now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, she signed the deal under two conditions, and I don't know how she was able to do this since she was kind of a new actress, is that every two years she could get time off to go do theater, and that she could live in New York City at the now, um, and that every, and then like every other summer she could go back to New York or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, did you do her role in the in Magambo garnered her a Golden Globe uh, award for Best Supporting Actress and her first Academy Award nomination, but she when the Academy Award okay. for Best Supporting Actress. And this is when our good person, the person that I've talked about a lot, not on here though. Um, Alfred Hitchcock took notice and cast her in Dial M for Murder, which is a brilliant movie. <laughs> it's Alfred Hitchcock adapted most of his movies from either short stories or plays, and this was actually a play about a um, a man hiring someone to kill his wife, Grace Kelly. Yep. And since it's a theater production, it's all filmed in one place, in yeah. the same house. It's really well done. Hitchcock does that a lot. Mm-hmm. I'll be like, this is, we've only got this much to work with. So oh yeah, and he's got to figure it out. Yeah. Before the filming even began, that was so great. He already had it done in his head, so he's like, it's over. Before they even started filming. Um, but she's really, really good in it, and the reason her his wife, or the guy he wants his wife killed is she's having an affair, and it's a loveless relationship or whatever. And one of the actors she was having an affair with off screen, <laughs> Ray Bradbury, I believe was his name. Um, Ray Bradbury? I have to, no, <laughs> I have to show you. So basically in high school for my photography class, uh-huh. we had to do this big project at the end of the year. You had to do something you're passionate about, which I just was like, I don't know. I was like, I love Hitchcock. So my high school uh, senior year project was getting my friends to recreate scenes from Hitchcock movies. Yeah. I'll show it to you. I don't know if you've seen it or not. I don't think so. I'll show it to you. After. I already know where it is. <laughs> and I also, like, 
And she's so good in all his films. Yeah. I am a little biased, but I believe it. Um, next, uh, Grace Kelly actually, actually, without any doubt in her mind, turned down the oper- opportunity to star alongside Marlon Brando in On the Waterfront, which I don't know if you've seen that, but that's also a brilliant movie. It's really well done. Um, either Marie Saint, who replaced her, actually ended up winning the Academy Award for that, uh, but that's okay because she got to play... She turned down that role to play in her best film of all time, and Hitchcock's best film of all time. Say it with me. Rear Window is the best Hitchcock film of all time. I believe you. <laughs> I, yes, I go <laughs> in Vertigo and all of his other films, The 39 Steps, they're all great films, but this is by far his best film. Okay. So I'm happy, and I don't think she ever regretted turning down that film to do, and this is the film that she's actually best known for, too, yeah. Rear Window. Have you ever seen it? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's been since college, so... I mean, it's a little corny when you watch the finale scene with the photographs or whatever, yeah. but it's still the way the whole movie is shot and the story's told, and you get to see all the little stories told with all... Because he's a peeping Tom, yeah. the main character is. He's looking at all his neighbors in the apartments, and he has names for all them. You have little Miss Lonely Hearts. You have the little newlywed couple. Yeah. You have the dancer who's actually lonely and just waiting for her army boyfriend to come home. And you see all these five different stories... Um, develop without any dialogue between these actual actors and actresses. It's right. so good. And there's a mystery in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> um, so she had to star in that. Uh, Grace's co-star in that movie, James Stewart, was actually very excited to work with her. Um, for the first time ever, this is where she per- portrayed an independent, career-driven woman. And James Stewart played a specu- speculative Photographer with a broken leg. I love how they say this. Bound to a wheelchair and so reduced to curiously observing the happenings outside his window, which is a nice way of saying a peeping tom. Right. <laughs> um, curiously observing. Just as he had done earlier, Hitchcock provided the camera with a slow sequence silhouette of Kelly, Grace Kelly, along with close-ups of the two stars kissing, finally lingering closely on her profile. Just talking about how he he used her face stand for all that it was worth. Yeah. Um. With the film opening in October of 1954, Grace was Grace Kelly was praised by many film critics, um, commenting on the earthy quality to the relationship between James Stewart and Miss Kelly. Both do a fine job of the pic- pictures acting. Man, I don't know why, but that, uh, that's obvious. Um, anyways, next in that year, in 1954, she starred in this movie called The Country Girl, which I've always meant to see, but I've never actually seen. And um, she starred opposite Bing Crosby and William Holden. It was not a glamorous role for her. She actually portrayed a dowdy, neglected wife of an alcoholic. She gave a raw and uncharacteristically stripped-down performance, which actually got her an Academy Award nomination for Best Actress. And this is where it gets really interesting. And she actually won the Academy Award. Yeah. The reason it's weird is she wasn't the one that was supposed to win. Not that anyone's supposed to win. But (laughs) this was the year of Judy Garland's comeback when she was in A Star is Born. And everyone expected her to win. Everyone, everyone, everyone. And for some reason, like, when I'm saying everyone expected Judy Garland to win, I'm saying if I was there that year, I would have expected her to win um, as an observer. And it ended up being Grace Kelly winning. And uh, uh, what's her name who does... uh, (laughs) Uh, you must remember you this, this podcast. Uh, Karina Longhorn. Karina Longhorn. Or Longwood. Or shit. I just listened <laughs> like five episodes of her today. 
while like running around and doing things. You must remember this with Karina Longworth. Longworth. Um, she, I just love the way she writes it all out and the way she's really good at explaining what she means and saying like, well, this is my view and this is what I think happened doesn't mean that actually happened because right. all this stuff happened a hundred years ago. But for this, she was like, apart from Grace Kelly and Hitchcock film, she really was great in, um, I can't remember what movie she said. But she goes, I'm telling you, Judy Garland and Stars Born is one of the best performances I've seen in the last year. And she was basically even her, she's like, I'm upset that <laughs> Judy Garland lost it. And the theory is, is that it was almost a tiebreaker and somehow he, someone was able to like sway it in Grace's paper. And they always joke about how, well, she slept her way to the top. But Karina Longworth was like, you can be powerful, but you can't sleep your way to coming more. Those things just have, like yeah. things just happen. Um, and she wasn't that powerful. And it's not saying that she did do that. That's how she wanted. Right. Um, it's just saying that, of course, this is what comes out of the gossip columns after this huge right. upset is what I guess you would say. So she got an Oscar. Um, she was in a couple more film projects that year. Then she filmed her third and final uh, uh, movie with Alfred Hitchcock to Catch a Thief, which is just, it's not... It's, it's just one of his most fun movies. I really enjoy yeah. it. It's really neat. To, it's a fun one is how I like to describe it. Um, it's not like his best ones. It's just what you consider a fun rom-com today, but it's more than that. Yeah. Um, Grace Kelly and Cary Grant had such <laughs> great chemistry together that they really do in the movie. Um, they developed actually a great mutual admiration and cherished their time together for the rest of their lives, actually. Yeah. Years later, when asked to name his all-time favorite actress, he replied, without hesitation, with all due respect to dear Inger Bergman, I much preferred Grace. She had serenity, and one of the few co-stars she never... Oh. She had serenity. I don't know what the inputs is. Um, <laughs> and all this stuff. And, like, of course, there was never any allegations that they slept together, because everyone knew at the time that Cary Grant was gay, and they had, like, a partner and whatever. Yeah. Um... But they, it was just really sweet because it would show up every now and then. Like they were just really close friends, and I thought it was so sweet. Um, so at this point, it's toward the, the end of 1954, beginning 1955. Um, her life takes a huge turn. You know what happens to her? No. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Um, at this point in her career, Kelly was actually one of the highest paid and most respected actresses yeah. in the world. And then in 1955, she was asked to join the United States Delegation Committee of the Cannes Film Festival in France. Yeah. During a photo shoot there, she met Prince Rainier III of Monaco, who just so happened to be seeking a bride. Oh. Um, and I'll get to that in a second. So <laughs> upon returning to America, Grace Kelly began working on this movie called The Swan, which I hear is really bad. <laughs> um, in which she coincidentally, coincidentally portrayed a princess, and all while that sh she was actually having private, um, I almost said emails, <laughs> <laughs> private letters, private correspondence, private correspondence with Prince Rainier. So, on December sixteenth, nineteen fifty-five, Rainier arrived in New York on a trip officially designated as a two-month tour of America. Although it was speculated that he was seeking a wife as a treaty with France in 1918, which resulted from the Monaco succession of crisis 1918, stated that if he did not produce an heir, Monaco would revert to France. Oh. And I don't know if you know where Monaco is. It's like in France. <laughs> yeah. It's a very tiny country. Yeah. The only country I think smaller than it is the Vatican City. I think it's only so many kilometers. 
Um, but it is technically not a part of France anymore, or wasn't. Um, so if he didn't produce an heir, then Monica would go back to the hands of France. Um, at a press conference in the United States, when asked if you were pursuing a wife, he answered no. Then the second question was posed, if you were pursuing a wife, what kind would you like? He smiled and answered, I don't know, the best, which is just like a stupid short answer, the I guess. The best kind of wife. The, the best. <laughs> <laughs> a breathing one. <laughs> um, so while in the United States, Prince Rainier met Grace Kelly and her family, and after three days, he proposed. She accepted, and the families began preparations for what the press at the time dubbed the wedding of the century. The wedding of the century. Yep. So, there was a civil ceremony set for April 18th, 1956, followed by the religious wedding on April 19th, because they were Roman Catholic. Here's one of my favorite things, though. News of the engagement was a sensation, even though it meant a probable end to her film career. Alfred Hitchcock... I mean, he is known for being a dick, but this one, I think, is a little funny. Quipped that he was very happy that Grace had found herself such a good part. I was like, shit. <laughs> um, so, here's the thing. She was required to give up her American citizenship, and Prince Rainier banned her films on Monaco. Why? I'm not 100% sure. It's not like she was scandalous or anything. I don't know. They don't really go want, into that, he yeah. probably just didn't want people to see her. Yeah. And the thing is, in Monaco, the main language is French. Yeah. And this is a little side. This is nothing with her films. And she didn't know French that well, but she had to learn it, obviously. Um, so, Grace became Princess Grace yeah. of Monaco. They had three children, two girls and a boy. Hitchcock had actually asked her to come back about seven or eight years later to film the movie Marnie, but that didn't happen. That's a really good movie. Yeah. Um, I kept, I've always heard different rumors, and then I've heard it one way, and then I've... Karina Longhorn made it sound like it, that was a, the, one of the rumors. The thing I'd always heard is there was such backlash that it... from the citizens... Because Marnie, I mean, she plays... That's not an ideal character for a person. Like, she's manipulative, lying, yeah. steals, a rape victim, all these things that they didn't want to see in a princess, I guess. Right. Well, and anyone, usually. Um, but then that's apparently, according to, you must remember this, was kind of the excuse they gave for her backing up because apparently when they were about to start filming, she was pregnant. And so then she backed out of the film, but then it was... Um, she miscarried. She mis. She was miscarried twice, oh. and they never talked about it. It wasn't until way later in life, or after her, after she had passed away, that they revealed that she had miscarried a couple of times. Um. So that they said the real reason was she had the child, or she was pregnant, and then so that's why they went to someone else, and then two months later she miscarried. Yeah. Um, that's sad. Either way, yeah, those aren't. None of those are good ways to, for them not to right. be in the movie. Right. Um, but I can't see Grace Kelly as Marnie, though, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> to be Hedron did a really great job. Good. Now that uh, she's a princess, um, you don't really get to know too much about her private life, so all this stuff is about rumors. She obviously devoted most of her stuff to charitable work in and around Monaco, especially with the arts and education and children. Normal princess duties. Yeah. You know, just trying to help your country. Um... And then, there was not the ideal marriage. There are definitely rumors 
like strong held beliefs that there was uh, extramarital affairs on both sides, not on just one or the other, but on both. But like good Catholics, they remained married, is what I put, until death do they part. And do you know how she died or how old she was? I do not. All right, well, I'll tell you. All I really knew was that she was an actress. Yes. Um, and she was only an actress. Well, yeah. She was only an actress for about five or six years. Yeah. Um, so on September 13th, 1982, Grace Kelly was driving back to Monaco from a country home where it is said that while she was driving back, it was a windy road, she had a stroke. Oh. Um, as a result, she lost control of her car and drove off the steep winding road down the 120-foot mountainside. Her daughter, Stephanie, was actually in the passenger seat with her. Um, it is said that um, her daughter or someone tried to, but failed to regain control of the car. Yeah. Grace was taken to the Monaco Hospital and with injuries to the brain and thorax and fractured femur, doctors believed that she had suffered a minor while driving and then maybe another one afterwards. She was And then she was brain dead at the hospital. So... Um, the next night, um, Prince Rainier chose to take her off life support. So her daughter Stephanie suffered light concussion and a hairline fracture of cervical vertebrae and was unable to attend her mom's funeral. And just so you know, Grace Kelly was only 52 at this time, and this was her youngest daughter. Her daughter was 17 when it happened. And they always, of course, because it's royalty... And this was, like, the problem child, quote-unquote, because she had boyfriends or something. Um, There's always rumors about what really happened, that the daughter was really driving and she wasn't, or and Grace wasn't, or they were yelling at each other and she drove off the road, or yada, yada, yada. But I really think that she did have a stroke. I believe that she did. And her daughter actually refused to say anything. She goes, I don't want to... She was like... I don't like to be asked about my last moments with my mom. Can you yeah. please respect that? But I did read an article from, she finally spoke in 2012, and all she said was, my mom drove, and she had a heart attack, and that's all I ever want to talk about it. Because that's, like, not a memory you want to think right, about. Right. Plus, how can much can she remember if she had passed out or whatnot? Um, but I like to think that there's actually not any scandal to this, to be honest. Yeah. I think that they try to make something out of it because you can um, because it sells newspapers. Yeah, it sells newspapers. But she was 52, and it was really sad. Uh, so that's kind of the life and story of Grace Kelly. She became one of the highest paid actresses, starred in some great Hitchcock films because she was the ultimate blonde beauty, which Hitchcock yeah. notorious for. Um, yep. And then she married a prince and was like a princess over in France for the next 30 years. And then her life is cut. Like, I cannot believe at 50 freaking two, my parents are in that now. Um, but some fun side notes. I don't know if, sign, if they're fun, but some other tidbits about her. I've heard about this. So, since he had to produce an heir before she married the prince, she had to take a fertility test to make sure that she could actually produce heirs. As you do. As one does. As a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... And then she took voice lessons. We're going to go back to her talking. Yeah. To get rid of her Philly twang, as they put it. After she enrolled in acting school in 47, one of her instructors began working avidly to correct what they called the Philadelphia twang. Um, 
as one biographer, biographer explains, one of the first things her instructors at the Academy of Dramatic Arts told her is that she had to work on her elocution. So Grace developed the almost British way of speaking, very measured, the vowels very well rounded. Have yep. you heard her movies? Yep. She does sound so proper. She's like, and then we go to here. Mm-hmm. But not with that much like. Right, right. But she sounds very, very proper. Yeah. When I read this, I'm like, oh my gosh, you're right. I just, in my head, you know, it's the 40s and the 50s. That's what all the ladies sounded like on screen. <laughs> but she was taught to sound that way. Um, her funeral attracted nearly 100 million television viewers. Whoa. Yeah. Um, and we'll end on a nice high note or mediocre note. <laughs> Grace Kelly was the first ever actress to have her name on a U.S. postage stamp. Oh, yeah? Which appeared in 1993. Nice. <laughs> I did not know that until today. I didn't today. either. Remember that for trivia. Yes. <laughs> I will. Clay's going to be listening to the podcast going, uh-huh. 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 Grace Kelly. Got it. <laughs> um, but she's, it seems like she has such an interesting life, and even after, you know, all the countless biographies and stuff about her, you're still never going to know 100%. That's what I love about old Hollywood, which is why I'm obsessed with You Must Remember This. Yeah. She does such great research on all these if people you, and stories. I Ugh. don't know if we've plugged it before, but if we haven't, you should definitely listen to it. You Must Remember so This. So good. Right now, the stories are of... Um... <laughs> Just literally listen to it. <laughs> Because it's always a theme. Fatty Arbuckle in Virginia. Oh, yeah. That one has to do with... Fake news? Yes. Fake news. It's technically about, like, fake news, how uh, the media portrays it and how it actually happened. Because back then, uh, Hollywood controlled the media. And it's really interesting on Fatty Arbuckle's case and what happened. And then there was... The one about D.W. Griffith was really interesting. Yeah. Um... But it's just, it's really, really well done. The only section I've not listened to of hers is the Charles Manson, because I don't care about that anymore. It's so over-talked, yeah. so oversaturated. And I don't want to give that <clears throat> guy the light, the time of day. Is he yeah. still alive? He's still alive. He's still alive in jail. Yeah, so I'm not going to give him the fucking time of day that yeah. he, he, this is what he wants. I'm not going to listen to any more about him. You don't want to listen to his music or and his, read his novels? Sh- and... <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't... He's just, ugh. Yeah. Annoys me so much. I'm not going to give his story any more time of day than what I already know. What I know is enough. So. But that's Grace Kelly. That's I Grace hope Kelly. you learned about her. Princess <laughs> I Grace. Did. Princess Grace. I did. We've got two tragic princesses today. We do. I think that's going to be the title. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, listeners. Um, I think we're going to get out of here. Yeah. Um, Go look at more paint colors for my room. <laughs> Rachel is so excited about getting to paint her room. Oh, I am. Just getting to decorate the house. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited. Um, as always, check us out online. Uh, our website is absintheactivismarts.wordpress.com. Mm-hmm. We're on Facebook at absintheactivismarts. Uh, we're on Twitter at absintheactarts. Uh, we're on Patreon at Epson Um If you're in Louisville, check out the uh, Courier Journal. Uh, I just had a. Um, oh yes, if they did post it. Yeah, they published okay. it on Saturday. Yeah, I think they published it. On oh, Saturday. that's right. I did see because you had a different title than what they put. Yeah. Um, let me look it up real quick so I know how. Now I've got the right one. 
Um, so what happened was Mitch McConnell had posted an op-ed on Friday, or no, it was on Thursday, and so uh, he basically said that if socialists had their ways, there would be no borders and no security. And I was like, yes. <laughs> um, and so Louisville DSA, um, I wrote a statement that says, uh, Louisville DSA says ICE defends the interest of the wealthy elites. And it yes. was published on July 20th. So go read that, and I'll probably put yeah, it up Friday. on the site as well. Um, yeah, abolish ICE, guys. Good. I'm glad that they posted I thought they would, but... I figured that they would. Especially since Mitch McConnell got his posted. Like, yeah. His reads like shit. <laughs> um, and he, you know, he didn't even write it. Someone else wrote it. <laughs> you know it. Um, so go check that out. Um, is there anything else? Nah, I'm still on a high, so... <laughs> I'm getting probably... After you leave, I'm probably going to start packing. <laughs> well, I have to, because if we do get to me in a couple weeks... Yeah. I'm like dog-sitting in the next two weeks. I yeah. won't even be here. Got to cherish my last couple weeks here. It hasn't quite hit... It won't hit me yet until, like, we get the keys or whatever. Right, right. I know I keep knocking on wood because it's not like, you know, it's not Yeah, it's not guaranteed finite yet. yet. But <laughs> but I will be moving out of here hopefully in September, October, no matter what yes, then. Yes, yes. Um, so we're gonna get out of here. Yes. Um, you enjoy your week. Uh, it's always a pleasure. Till next time. Til next time.